passage this morning is from Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophecy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord." So I prophesied and I was com- as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophecy to the breath, prophecy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophecy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Let's get it all over with now, guys. I know. Okay. Well, Good morning. This year, as many of you know, we're preaching through the whole storyline of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in what we're calling the year of the Bible. So since January, we've been traveling with God's people from the very beginning. Uh, We stood in awe at their creation, male and female, made in God's image. We grieved when they fell from grace, when their sin spoiled God's good creation and fractured every one of the relationships that had been established a relationship with God, with each other, with themselves. And as the story progresses, maybe you felt this way as we've been going through the, uh, the Old Testament, there's a connection with the, the people in the story through their ups and downs. We can relate with what we find, whether they're in Egypt or in the wilderness or in the promised land or in exile. What becomes plain is that location is not the problem. The heart that turns away from God That's the problem. And if you're honest, you know that's your problem too. 
where we enter the story today in Ezekiel chapter 37. Uh, we see Ezekiel, the, the prophet, ministering to the people of God in Babylon. And, and if you know the Bible or you've been following along, we might ask, well, what are the people of God doing in Babylon? Right? That's not where their temple is. Their, their homes aren't in Babylon. All the promises God gave to them had to do with worship in Jerusalem, that land, not this foreign land of Babylon. So why are they in Babylon? God, he gave his people, Israel, everything, everything they had as a gift, their land, their nation, their identity as his very own possession. They were the most blessed people on the face of the earth. They were to be a shining testimony to God's grace. They were to experience God's holiness and power in their personal lives, in their community, as they loved God and loved each other. And this would be an example to all the other nations of the world. They were to be a God-filled counterculture to the world's godless culture. And they did have success at times, little fits and starts or spurts or whatever you want to call those things, short-lived. They turned from God time and time again, worshiping idols, mistreating each other like we heard last week in Ezekiel 34 with Pastor Bob. Their shepherds, uh, Israel's leaders, they were wickedly mistreating the sheep, the people of God, and the people weren't treating each other much better. It wasn't just a leadership problem. It was a mess, and they lost everything. So in judgment on their wickedness, God uses this foreign nation, Babylon, and they invade the land, they rip them from their homes, they take them into exile back home, their home. To Babylon, and these people who are to be sustained by having a hope and a future, now they have neither. Psalm 137 captures uh, what it was like for the Israelites to be living in Babylon. Uh, maybe you know these words from the Bible. Uh, if not, maybe you know them from Bob Marley's song, which he got from the Bible, Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. That's Jerusalem. On the willows, we hung up our lyres. They're small harp-like instruments. They're like, we don't have any need for this instrument of worship anymore. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of your songs of Zion about the greatness of your God. How, they respond, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Imagine we all get here this morning, you come in, you find your seat, Justin, our worship leader, comes out and he says, you know, I'm sorry, but worship's canceled today. Everyone go home and lament. We'll keep you posted, but don't get your hopes up. <laughs> I mean, it was worse than that, far worse than that. It's into that dark night that Ezekiel speaks the word of the Lord, and Ezekiel brings hope to an otherwise hopeless situation. Though their shepherds were wicked and the sheep were sick, that's Ezekiel 34, God, their shepherd, will not let them languish forever. And though their bones are dry and their hope is lost, that's Ezekiel 37, God, the one who raises the dead, will not let them stay that way. See, God's people, from Genesis onward, they keep getting kicked out of the places where God puts them. But one day that is going to end and by God's grace, we will stay put where he plants us forever. 
But that day's not here yet, is it? That's why we pray, come Lord Jesus. Before we get into the outline in your bulletin and hear God ask Ezekiel a question, a tough question, I want to spend a little time with the setting of this uh, miraculous scene where it took place. There's four visions in the the book of Ezekiel, four big vision stories. The first back in chapter 3 and the third, this vision here in 37, they both take place in the same location, the valley. And only in Southern California do I have to qualify. Not the San Fernando Valley. Like totally not there. Sorry. We'll get back. But the valley or the plain near Israel's settlements in exile, the valley where the Lord set Ezekiel down right in the middle, it's full of bones. This is not a place Ezekiel would want to be. God warned of ritual impurity through contact with the dead, and Ezekiel is a priest. He takes that very seriously. But it's that same God who said that who brought him here and drops him right in the middle, kind of a takes him on a tour through the boneyard. He leads him around it for a while. Uh, There's a famous photographer who lived during the Civil War named Matthew Brady. Uh, Even if you don't know his name, you've probably seen some of his photographs, especially if you're a Ken Burns fan. They're staggering. These black and whites of these fields of fallen soldiers. There's just a field of death. Anyone seen those? How horrible that scene is. How much worse would it be to be there? That's closer to what Ezekiel experienced as he sat down right in the middle of the massacre. That's the scene we have, a battlefield, a fallen army of, verse 2 says, very many, very dry bones. For the rest of the message, you can follow along using the outline in the bulletin if that helps kind of build it around this question uh, that, that God asks Ezekiel, standing there surrounded by death, the Lord says in verse 3, son of man, can these bones live? And, and think about what, what, what would you have said or what do you think you would have said? Uh, one answer, of course, Lord. Of course, you're the God of all power. You're You can do anything. As a faithful priest and prophet who believes in you, of course they can. That's my firm position. Anything less would be uh, faithlessness, and I'm faithful. Of course you can. That's one answer. Um, Hmm, can I think about it? Maybe take a shower, get this death off me, and we can meet up again, but not here, but over there by my tent, out of this, this battlefield. Or maybe another response, I don't know, Lord. It's legit. Ezekiel gives what's probably a very God-confident response, but but I think one we can all appreciate. Oh, Lord God, you know. Ezekiel, can these bones live? What do you think, Lord? Why don't we go with that? Verses 4 to 6 tell us that the Lord knows they can. He answers his own question. Then he said to me, verse 4, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now don't worry about the the logic here. They're skeletons. They hear. They don't have ears. It's God speaking. He can say whatever he wants to whoever he wants. 
Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews or tendons upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. You see what's happening here with this this multi-step process the Lord says will take place when these bones hear the word of the Lord? That the process of death is reversed. See, when someone dies, breath leaves them, and then their skin begins to decompose, and then their flesh under the skin follows, and in the end, all that's left are bones. And God says, when these bones hear my word, they will live again. It goes the opposite direction. The bones will reconnect or be remembered by sinews, by tendons. Then they'll be refleshed. Flesh will crawl onto those bones, and then skin will cover the flesh. And then finally, they'll be animated by the breath or spirit of God. And when that happens, when the breath enters in, it's life. This has specific application to the people of Israel. We'll get to that in a moment. But the general point, the, the, the big point that transcends this passage for any people, any time in history, is that God can do anything. And where his spirit is present, even at 1143 Seal Beach, Grace Community Church, Seal Beach, which that's where we are, you'd expect that to be, God Where he is present, there is life. All right. Where he is present, friends, I don't know if I need to do a little one of these or something. (laughs) Where he is present, there is life. Amen. Amen. This has specific application again, like I said, but that is the big truth. When God shows up, life comes with him. Can these bones live? The Lord knows they can. He shows Ezekiel this vision to build his confidence in God's power, a power which explodes into the world through the preaching of his word. You know what I find really amazing about this? I I often find this amazing. It's that the sovereign Lord of the universe, the, the God of life, is pleased to use people to accomplish his purposes, right? Jars of clay, you, me, Ezekiel, can these bones live? The Lord knows they can. If he wanted to, he could have just preached from heaven, made it so, sent his spirit to do everything he wanted to, apart from Ezekiel, apart from you and me. But aren't you glad he doesn't work that way? Aren't you glad he brings us in on his work? Isn't that a joy to be used by the Lord in his work in someone else's life? To see his grace up close? He chooses you to be his arms, to embrace someone who needs an embrace from God. He chooses you to be his voice, to speak the word of God to someone who needs a word from God. The Lord knows these bones can live. He tells Ezekiel that in verses 4 to 6, but it's not until Ezekiel preaches that they do. They can live, Ezekiel preaches, so they will. So in verses 7 to 10, these dry bones, they hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel prophesies as he was commanded. When he does, there's a sound, it had to be this great scene, a rattling, the bones get together. 
uh, upright skeletons, like the ones that get wheeled into your biology or art class. That's what I, I picture in my mind. Just as the Lord said that would happen, the effects of death are reversed. These bones become bodies standing there right before Ezekiel. But bodies are not enough for there to be life, right? When someone dies, even if it happened 10 seconds ago, what do we say? We say they're gone. The body's still there, but there's no life in them. They're gone. Ezekiel preaches, these bones get together, they form skeletons, they put on flesh and skin, and yet there's still something missing. What is it? Verse 8, there was no breath in them. No life from God. So the Lord says to Ezekiel, call the breath then. Think about the incredible amount of authority he entrusts to Ezekiel. He shares with him, call the breath from the four winds, which probably means the four compass points, right? North, south, east, west. Call all the breath to come that these bones may live. So he did and it happened, verse 10, the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So if you were just coming out to see something impressive, maybe you're satisfied at this point. Wow, God's powerful, that's amazing. Lunch? Well, God's not done. It's not just a display of God's power, as impressive as that is. No, it's a display of God's power to give hope to God's people. It's for His people. It's not just for Him. He already knows how awesome He is. He does all things for His own glory and for the good of His people. Friends, it's true that God is powerful, and we should be in awe of His power, but if he weren't willing to use that power for our benefit, it should horrify us how powerful he is. It's true that God gives life to the dead. That's awesome. But what's even more awesome is when he gives life to you dead, and me dead, and Israel dead. Who God is and what he does is breathtaking, but when who he is and what he does is for us, that should inspire all. That's amazing. That's why we sing amazing grace. That, that's a sweet, sweet sound. Can I get an amen? amen? You don't have to wait, FYI. God gives life to the dead. He does it through his word. Ezekiel prophesies. He preaches. And when he does dry bones here and live. That's what we learn from his vision in verses 7 to 10. But also in verses 11 to 14, we learn that dry hearts hear and live. Verse 11, we learn that the dry bones in Ezekiel's vision are a picture of the nation of Israel, the people of God. Son of man, the Lord says to Ezekiel, these bones are the whole house of Israel Behold, they say, and here's what Israel was saying in Babylon, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. In other words, we're dead, down, and out. That was Israel's motto in Babylon. They made banners, they got t-shirts made at Tank Farm. <laughs> dead, down, and out, Israel. 
That last phrase from verse 11, we are indeed cut off, that's covenant curse language. That's what that is. They were cut off. That means they, they were left for dead, to be cut off from God, cut off from hope, from any meaningful future. And friends, God's people were not meant to die, never, not meant to be cut off from God, not even for a second, but that's what sin gets us, that's what Israel's sin got her. Living in Babylon, her exile was a virtual death. See, the way they saw themselves and described themselves, their own existence, that helps us understand why God used this particular image, the valley of dry bones, to speak to them, because that's what they saw them in themselves. That's how they talked about themselves. We're just dry bones. We're just dry bones. Our bones are dried off. We're cut off. Our hope is lost. Exiled Israel, dead in their bones, they will live again, they will return home, but that had to seem like a dream to them as they lived in Babylon. It had to seem impossible. What did they need? They, they really needed to hear from God. They needed a word from the Lord to believe. You're dead down and out, yes, Verse 12, the Lord says, but I will open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from the grave, O my people. For Israel, their immediate return to life had to do with returning to the land of Israel, the promised land. They were in Babylon dead but God was going to bring them home alive. Death was all around. These transplants living in Babylon couldn't deny it, but God was bringing life through the preaching of his word, his breath, his spirit. That's what makes the difference. The reconstituted bodies in verse 8 needed breath to live. Adam, the man of dust, was just dust until the Lord breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's when we read in Genesis 2 that man became a living creature. He was just dust before that. There's no life without the breath of God. No life without the word of God, without the spirit of God. That's plain from our passage this morning. God's spirit, his breath brings life. Life to dry bones and life to dry hearts. Uh, sometimes we'll use commentaries to help us get ready for messages. And a lot of times those commentaries, these scholars will talk about the structure of the passage or the background or highlight something that you might not see in an English translation, something like that. But every once in a while, you'll come across a commentator that wants to preach and they're just using the commentary to do it. And that's what this next section is. I, I just wanted to read this this morning. This commentator gets to preaching when she writes, Ezekiel challenges his fellow exiles and generations of his readers to view their circumstances not through their own limited vision, but through God's eyes. Can these bones live? Of course not. But look at them through God's eyes and watch bones rushing to their appropriate partners. 
Watch as ligaments bind themselves together. Flesh blankets them and skin seals them tightly. Watch as God's spirit, which heals hopelessness, infuses them so that they rise up a great army testifying to the power of Yahweh. Can corpses be brought from graves and become living beings again? Absurd. But look through God's eyes and watch them come up, receive God's spirit, and return home. When we raise our vision to look beyond what our mundane eyes can see, we watch the impossible happen through God's eyes. I can't believe my eyes, we say, when we've witnessed an utterly unanticipated or seemingly impossible event take place, but we can believe God's eyes and looking through them, glimpse unimagined reasons to keep on hoping, though the desert be dry and dark and the promised land far, far away. Amen. That's really, really good. Israel, a valley of dry bones, needed hope and God delivered. They were dead and God brought them life. What we're reminded of today is that God is the source of life and life is something we all need. See, you can try to be good even if you're bad. Some days you do okay, other days if you're honest, you know it was terrible, you're inconsistent at best, but you can try. You can try to be good when you're bad. You know what you can't try to be? Alive when you're dead. It doesn't work. We've seen today that bodies without the breath of God are dead. Only God can give life. And as the message comes to a close, I have a question for you this morning. Are you alive? And I don't mean are you breathing oxygen? Did you walk in here? Can you talk? Can you hear the words coming out of my mouth? And, and I don't mean did you, do you come to worship every week? Do you give? Do you pray? Do you serve? Do you lead a group? Do you sing in the choir? And I don't mean are you on staff? Do you preach from time to time? I mean, do you have the life of God in you? Are you born again? Are you new? Are you clean? Has God breathed his spirit into you? If he has, you probably notice something has changed for you. Maybe that's where you are right now. Something's different in you. Maybe it's just the last week or two. If you'd say no or I don't know or how would I know, I'd say please talk to someone after the service, someone who, who came with you. We'll have people to pray up here down after the service. You can talk to them about the life of God, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to have God breathe in you. I'd love to talk with you. We want to answer that question before we leave today. Are you alive? They teach us how to transition in preaching class, but I don't have a transition for this last point. So, In John 20, I just go with a long pause. That's my transition. In John 20, Jesus appears to his disciples three days after his resurrection. And maybe you remember this scene. He breathes on them. He breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. 
And a lot of scholars, for good reasons, they look at that and they say, oh, it's a preview of Pentecost. Not many days from now. It's talking about how the Spirit's going to come and breathe on God's people, fill all of God's people. And I'm sure that's true. But also a good principle for us as we're studying the Bible this year is to ask when we're reading, where have I heard this or seen something like this before? Where else do God's people... Like Jesus with the disciples in John 20, have the breath of God breathed out on them here this morning, Ezekiel 37. And because we are Christians and we believe all the scripture points to Jesus, you might have heard us uh, this year during our trek through the Old Testament say some version of Jesus is the better fill in the blank or uh, Jesus offers the greater fill in the blank. We might be studying Moses or the temple or King David, and we'll conclude by saying, you know, Jesus is the better Moses. He's the better temple. He's the better David. Or we're looking at an Old Testament priest, and we'll say, but, but Jesus, this priest, he's the only one who can sit down when he's done with his service because his work is finished. Jesus is the better priest. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus doesn't ask, answer, I don't know, hardly any questions that he answers directly the way they're asked. But when he's asked in John 4, are you greater than Jacob? And in John 8, are you greater than Abraham? I know he was thinking, well, yeah. <laughs> yes, much greater is the answer to both of those questions. The better prophet, the better priest, the better king, Jesus is better in every way. And because he is better... Everything he does is better, bigger, greater. He's the greater, sorry, he offers a greater deliverance from a greater enemy. Therefore, it's a greater victory celebration. In the language of our passage today, as great as the return from exile was for Israel, getting back into their land, Jesus offers a greater return for the people of God from a greater exile. Our sin, all humanity's sin for all time, separates us from God. It cuts us off. It causes us to be in exile, exile far away from God, where there's no song to sing, no hope to be had. But Jesus doesn't leave us there in that far-off land. He makes a way for us to come home, and to come home so that we'll never be homeless again. He brings us and all who are far off near by the blood of his cross. His death and resurrection from the dead make it possible for all who are dead to find life. So find your life in God this morning. Maybe you walked in here alive in a biological sense. Right now, you're being offered the kind of life that can't be taken away from you, not even in death. So take it. Don't delay. Take it. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you call us to yourself and keep calling us. Even when our ears are plugged, you call 
and your word can bring life to the dead. We thank you for this reminder from Ezekiel of your great power. May we experience more of it in our life uh, today. In your name we pray, amen. Well, we come to the table now, the Lord's Supper, and this table is evidence that exiles can, in fact, uh, come home. So if those serving us uh, communion would come forward.